0: So those who've been with us will have noticed that this Easter, we've just sort of been moving through the resurrection appearances of Jesus uh, to his disciples, to those he loves, and uh, sometimes in in just ones or twos, but sometimes in bigger groups and numbers. And um, so I've been giving quizzes all day, so we're going to make this interactive. Um, So does anyone remember uh, the, the, the first disciple that we paid attention to Uh, the woman who got up early to go and uh, to anoint Jesus with spices who saw the stone roll back who ran presumably with the other women back to Peter and John they all went back together John and Peter returned to the upper room but this one stayed she wanted to be in that place where Jesus had been and where he had walked out of the tomb Um, she waits there and she hears one calling her from behind her. And she thinks it's the gardener. But she turns and looks when this one calls her by name. And she casts herself upon him. Anybody remember who that was? Mary. Yes, it was Mary. Mary. And so too, can we recognize this Easter that Jesus knows you by your name? Jesus knows your name. And not only that, he calls it. He calls to you. And even in that act of turning around, we, we find that the act of repentance. Repentance means just to turn around, and so to go in the direction Jesus is. Jesus calls you by name. It's an invitation to deeper relationship with Him. Um, next, we see Jesus in the upper room. Of course, Peter and John ran back. The disciples went back. They're afraid. The stone's been moved, the body's missing. They think, oh man, the authorities are coming to get us and going to do to us what they did to him. And so they have barred the doors. They've locked the doors. And yet, what are locked doors going to do to keep out the one who, remember that line? I forget who it was, but who emerged from the the virgin womb uh, in a a virgin tomb. I mean, what's a couple locked doors going to do to him? He, he appears in their midst. What's the first word that Jesus spoke? Peace. Peace be with you is the first thing the, the resurrected Christ said to his disciples who saw the dead man living. My peace I give to you. Jesus calls you by name and he wants to give you his peace. That's why after we confess our sins, we pass the Peace. As soon as Christ accomplished the work that offers forgiveness of our sin, the death and the empty tomb, He said, peace. So we say it too in our liturgy. The one who calls your name wants to give you peace. Of course, there was a disciple who wasn't there with the rest on that occasion. And they told him what had happened. He says, unless I see his wounds and put my hand in his hands inside, I will never believe. Who was that? Thomas. Thomas. Everybody knows doubting Thomas. Good grief, right? So Thomas... About a week later, Jesus shows up again and says, Look, Thomas, here they are. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God, confessing Him not only the Messiah of Israel, but very God of very God, as we shall say later in the Creed. So Jesus calls you by name, and He wants to give you His peace, and He wants to turn those places of doubt in you to faith and to lead you into greater faith. And He will come and attend to those things in your life. Uh, And then finally, last week, we looked at Cleopas and the other disciple who were making their way from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. They'd seen the death of Christ. They thought this was the end. They were journeying back, and it says that they were sad. There were unanswered questions in their life. So when the stranger who appeared to them, a symbol of the unknown... When the stranger appears, he asks a question. What are you talking about? In the course of their journey together, this stranger, this one they don't recognize, shows them the words of the Scripture and leads them through the the book of Moses and all the prophets and says to them how this pertains to the things they've just witnessed. And eventually they end up at a table and he, he does what to the bread? He breaks it and their eyes are opened and they recognize the Lord. And so the same one, I mean, this is what Easter is about. The same one who knows you by name, who wants to give you his peace, who wants to turn those doubts into faith, meets you along the journey of your life, and all those unanswered questions you have and leads you further into the Scripture and further into his life and opens your eyes principally at the table. This morning we're going to turn to an encounter that Jesus has with Peter, chief of the apostles, the one who will become bishop of Rome. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you just keep showing up over and over again in these scriptures and over and over again in our lives. And we pray that you would do with us what you did with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, that you would lead us further into your word so that we might know you better. And we pray that you would invite us to your table so that we might feast with you and in so doing, recognize you and know you and be transformed to become more like you. Uh, send your spirit upon us, we pray, uh, you who know us by name and who give us faith and who trade faith for doubt. We pray all this in Christ. Amen. Um so talking about Peter. <clears throat> you guys know Peter. Little bit, right? You know, you know who Peter is. You know, kind of the the chief of the apostles, uh, sort of the number one guy. He shows up in all the all the encounters pretty nearly. You remember where we first meet Peter in the whole gospel? Where we meet Peter? Well, with his, I guess, with his like his robes rolled up or something, and his ankles in the water, and uh, he's holding some nets, and and Jesus says to him the same word that he says at the end of our passage today. So that. That call, that invitation doesn't stop. He said, follow me. And what does Peter do? Well, Peter is always ready for whatever comes next. You know somebody like that? They're up for whatever. He drops his nets and he follows Jesus. He walks away from his life, from his vocation, from his job to follow this man who calls him uh, into his presence. That's where we meet Peter. Um, wouldn't we all like to be a little more like Peter? A little more like that? When Jesus calls you, you say, Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm here. Let's do it. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I'm ready to go with you. Of course, we see Peter again pretty uh, early on when he goes with Jesus and the other disciples to his mother-in-law's house. Which sounds like a dangerous proposition, doesn't it? But Peter shows up and brings the healer with him, which is important because Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She is in bed and sick, and Jesus comes and heals her. One of the first healings, perhaps the first healing we hear about in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so here's here's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law who stands up, who begins to serve them and get some food ready for them and take care of them and provide hospitality. And this all seems to be working great. Peter's, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in good graces now until the word gets out and everyone in the whole town descends upon the house because Jesus has healed her and everybody else who's sick wants to be healed too. And lo and behold, <clears throat> Jesus heals everyone else. So such, I mean, Now Peter's mother-in-law is a little frazzled, you might imagine. Says, Peter, you've done all this to me, haven't you? Um, So early on, we see Peter's eagerness. We also see he kind of gets in over his head a little bit sometimes. Next, we see Peter climbing out of of a boat in the middle of a lake, thinking he can walk on top of it, right? Remember this story? Uh, Jesus comes to them. Peter sees his Lord and he is so full of faith, so, so amazed, he says, I'm, I'm going too. Climbs out of the boat, makes it a few steps, has great faith. He's eager for, he's ready for anything and then hmm, he looks down, takes his eyes off Christ. He sees the water, which in the Scriptures represents chaos. In the beginning, uh, the earth was without form and void and Spirit hovered over the face of the deep and and God spoke and created an expanse in the midst of the waters. Held the waters of chaos back so that there could be a space for creation and flourishing. And so Peter takes his eyes off the Creator and looks into the chaotic deep and begins to sink. And Jesus has to take hold of him and pull him out. Peter, always eager, but never quite ready for what comes. We see Peter ascending the mountain with Jesus, with James and John. It's the four of them going up. And we see Jesus at the top transfigured. Uh, For a moment in time, Jesus is revealed to them in in all the glory that they can receive at that moment. And so, uh, He begins to emit light. He's brighter than the sun. He's brighter than the lightning that flashes. And they fall on their faces. If you go in the library, you can see Raphael's depiction of this. We have Uh, Jesus at the top transfigured and Peter, James, and John bowing before him and Moses and Elijah on either side and it's this incredible moment. Peter is the one who breaks the silence, you know, no surprise. He said, Lord, do you want me to build some tents up here? We could just camp out for a while. Which seems a little odd except they were there at the the festival of booths or the festival of, of tents. Um, which is that time in the calendar year when Israel would remember their journey through the wilderness where they camped in tents but where more importantly um, God traveled with them in the tent of meeting. And Peter figures Moses is here, (laughs) you know, and we're here. We might as well just make the best out of a good thing. You ever had a moment in your life with the Lord you just didn't want it to stop? I mean, it was so beautiful or such a gift like you didn't want it to end? Um, A feeling in prayer or a moment when you're singing and and you just want to stay there. You just want to camp out. Um, That was Peter. He was eager. But again, he just kind of missed the point. The point was that Jesus was about to make Peter himself the tent and the disciples, and the church, the tabernacle. We weren't going to build a tent for the Lord. He was going to make us into one where His glory would reside. So Peter was eager, but he wasn't quite there yet. Um, you might remember the time when uh, Peter was renamed by Jesus the little rock. He, says, uh, he even said, upon this rock I will build my church. Of course, Jesus is, is the rock upon um, whom our faith is built, but he's giving Peter a share in his identity, a share in his mission, a share in what he's going to do in the world. And Peter is now part of that. But just a couple chapters later, or passages later, Peter is trying to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross because that doesn't seem like it will work out well. And so Jesus says, "Get behind me!" Remember what he calls him? That. "Get behind me, Satan!" Peter, always eager. Not quite there yet. Um, you'll remember Peter going with Jesus, the other disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of Christ's arrest. After they'd been in the upper room, they go to the garden so that Jesus can pray. He asks His disciples to pray with Him. He goes off at a distance. He prays. He's under such intense pressure. He's sweating blood. He comes back. Peter's snoring. The rest of the disciples are snoozing. Wakes him up. Can't you just pray with me but one hour? Goes back and prays again. Comes back. Peter, thought he was going to do better this time. Asleep again. Over and over it happens. Through the night. Finally, the soldiers come. Finally, the authorities arrive. Finally, Jesus comes and in the light of flickering torches, kisses Jesus and betrays Him. Peter, coming out of his stupor, clamors around and pulls out a sword, which I'm sure he wasn't particularly good at wielding, and chops a guy's ear off. Ever eager, not quite getting it, Jesus says, violence is not my way. And he restores the man's ear and heals him. Peter, uh, a little later, uh, will do what he said he would never do. He goes... Stands before the Lord and Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. And Peter says, even if the rest of these, even if all these others, meaning the other disciples who are with him, turn away from you, I never will. I will never do that, Jesus. And Jesus responded, before the tomorrow morning comes, Peter, you will have done that. Three times before the rooster crows. Peter, ever eager, can't follow through on what comes next. Um, Peter, who runs to the tomb, resurrection morning, Easter morning, he's so eager, he goes. John got there earlier. He was younger and he ran faster, but, but Peter shows up and John didn't go in. Peter bursts right into the, into the door. Headlong. Ever eager. But then he turns right back around and runs back to the upper room and does what? Locks all the doors. Because he's terrified. You see the two sides of Peter here. Do you see how much he wants to serve the Lord? How much he wants to be faithful? How much he wants to be obedient? And do you see all the times that he he never quite makes it? He never quite does what he knows he's called to do. He He doesn't have the capacity to enter in fully to what God has in store for him. Not yet. Can you not find yourself there in Him? I sure do. Eager to set down my nets and follow, but then I just get distracted and wander off in another direction and Jesus is going somewhere else. You know? Um, Eager to hop out and walk on water, who wanted to have strong faith through COVID and then ended up with a bunch of questions because all the chaos just kept pulling you down? Who wants to bear the name Little Rock? Who wants to share in Christ's identity? Who wants to build up the church? But then you're not really game for the sacrificial life that God calls us into. The going to the cross, take up your cross kind of life. You just really, all us, we just want to build up the church so long as it's easy. Get behind me, Satan. Hard word to hear. Those of us who promise, swear, will never deny Jesus. The chief of the apostles did it. Three times in a night. Not when the soldiers came, but when the servant girl was handing out cookies or something in the courtyard where Jesus was housed Said, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter said, I never knew the man. So eager, but we. Isn't there more for you in your Christian life than what you have? And when you stop to think about it, don't you actually want that? Don't you want everything? That's the problem. Human beings are made to want everything because we're made for God. But we keep trying to get everything everywhere else and it never works. Don't you want more? Aren't you made for more? Our passage this morning brings us to that point with Peter. It's the first conversation that we're aware of that happens one-on-one between Peter and Jesus after Peter's denied Him three times and Christ has been raised. First conversation. happened you know happens in the morning jesus meets them on the side of the shore they've been out fishing they got skunked jesus said try the other side of the boat they pull in a bunch of fish they make their way to the shore and jesus has already made breakfast for them don't you love that about jesus makes us breakfast he invites them in they share a meal and then jesus looks at peter I mean, could you, could you feel that gaze from Christ? He looks at you. Looks at Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these? You know where that was coming from, don't you? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Keeps looking at him. Says, do you love me? Says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Says, tend my lambs. Ask him a third time. But just hearing that, I mean, you can can see the three times denied, the three times saying I love you. But what we miss is actually what goes on here. English, we got one word for love. I love hamburgers, I love Leslie, I mean two different things when I say that, right? (laughs) And so in the Greek, Jesus actually says to him, Peter, do you agape me? Now that means, do you love me with the highest form of love? It means self-sacrificial love. Do you love me so much you sacrifice yourself? Do you love me with the kind of love which I have loved you? And going to the cross, being raised again—it's it, the word that's used to translate the Hebrew "has said." When you're moving from Old Testament to New, which "has said" is the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever, that never diminishes, it never goes away. You love me that much, and Peter looks back at him and says, "Lord, you know I Philia you, uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right?" So he says, I, I love you with a brotherly love. I can't say. Peter could not say I love you with agape love. He had to say philia love. Jesus looks at him again and says, do you agape me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know I, you know I philia you. I love you with a brotherly love. All the while Jesus saying, okay, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And then he asks him a third time. And the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you philia me? And this made, it says it made him sad. It grieved him, right? That, now you understand why. It grieved him because he knew that was the best he could do. He could you him. But Jesus also wanted Peter to be able to say yes to that question. And wants you to be able to say yes. He wants So it's sort of cliche to say, God meets you where you are. But that's what he's doing. He's, what I like about this is that Jesus tells the truth. He's not like, eh, that's good enough, Whatever. No, he's like, do you agape me? Do you love me with the fullness of the kind of love I have and give to you? And he can't say yes. He has to say no. But then he asks him for everything he's got. Do you love me with all the love that you can give me at present? And, and, and it makes Peter sad, but he says, yes, I do. I do. And... Uh, my friend Tim once said, he, you know, God asks you for everything you can give. He doesn't ask you for more than you can give. But he, he asks you for absolutely everything you can give. And that's what we all want, isn't it? We want to give God everything, but we keep holding back. And sometimes we see that since we can't give him as much as we want, well, why do we keep trying? but Jesus comes and wants you to be able to say yes to that question. You love me with all that you can right now. Uh, Now what's also beautiful about this passage, Jesus tells the truth. He realizes that Peter hasn't given everything he can, and Peter knows it too. He doesn't love him with a perfect love. He names that, but then he receives what Peter can give. He wants it. He he receives it from you. But then, here's the beautiful part. There's sort of a weird thing at the end of the story. It's like, how does this fit? And it says, um, uh, Peter, says Jesus, when you're young, when you were young, you dressed yourself how you wanted and you went wherever you wanted. You could dress yourself on your own, go wherever you wanted. But when you get old, you hold out your arms. Somebody else is going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And the passage says, he said this because... He was hinting at the sort of death with which which Peter would glorify Jesus. And so even in this passage, we're looking at Peter's deficiencies, yes. Lack of maturity, yes. It's like Peter has been given a coat that is actually, he's trying to wear this coat around that's way too big for him. He looks a little silly in it, right? He keeps tripping him up. falling. He wants to wear the coat. He's got it on. It just doesn't fit yet. He keeps running in headlong into everything and just making a mess of it. And it's almost a little comical sometimes, right? It's like a coat that doesn't fit. But but guess what happens? Peter embraces the command that Jesus has given him. Well, if you love me, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my flock. He does that. He becomes bishop of Rome. A bishop has a staff with a shepherd's crook on it, right? Because that's the office, the vocation they've been given to fill. And if you love Jesus, if you want more, if you want to give all of your life, here's the place to start. Look around. You know, If you go back to Peter at the very beginning, he says, I'm going to turn you from a fisherman into a fisher of men. That's because the world was like fish swimming in a watery chaos. But now, God has gathered some in. And they are now the sheep of His pasture. That's what the kids are memorizing Psalm 100 one to three, in the Sunday school class. That's one of the lines. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. He now has a flock that belongs to him and that he's placed in greed at, at pastures and that are going to need to be fed and cared for and tended and loved and protected. And when one wanders away, you go out and you bring them back to the flock and you keep them and you bless them and you care for them. You lay down your life for them sometimes. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his friends. A goes finds the one and, and brings him back to the 99 upon his shoulders. Jesus, again, gives Peter a share in that, gives you a share in that. So if you want to begin to grow into something more, look at the people around you and begin to care for them. Or look at who's not here this morning and call them this week. Uh Junior's really good at that. He, he'll, call, he'll, get, he'll get going and call like 20 people. Check on them. Do, yeah, do that. Just do two, you know. I'm Speaking to myself, I need to do that. Yeah, So begin to to do that. And so Peter does. And you know what happens? He becomes bishop of Rome. He's got the shepherd's crook. And one day some authorities come to him. Some soldiers. And this time he's holding not a sword, but a shepherd's staff. And I don't know if they come in the flickering light of Torches in in the dark of night or in the middle of the day, but they say, they ask him that same question that that servant girl asked him Aren't you one of his disciples? And everything stopped, didn't it? What's he going to say? And he says, Yes, I am. And more than that, he tells them about who Jesus is and about what he's done for them and for the world. And they crucify him. And he says, I'm I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Do that upside down. And so you see what happens by the end of his life when that question is asked, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificial love? Do you love me with the kind of love with which I have loved you? Now what can Peter say? He says, yes. Yes. And so this passage tells the truth, but it gives me hope. Because we we all know we really want more. And it gives us a little like next step. We'll begin to care for the people around you, the other people in this church, your brothers and sisters and other congregations. Like come and worship, join here at the table where what happens? Christ feeds his lambs, where we can feast with him and be fed and strengthened and grow. So let's head that direction. Let's go to the table. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.